uh, I've always been told, uh, taught uh, from when I was first growing up in, in church when I, was, when I was young that we should always seek to apply the Bible. Uh, we shouldn't just know the Bible. It shouldn't just be some, some kind of trivia that we know. We should always be seeking to apply it. And I really think that that's right. And yet, for a lot of us, I think, I, I know that I've done this, we have misapplied the goal of application. That is, when I hear that we should apply the Bible, what I often hear, what I often translate that as is, I need to do something. Like, like the point, I, like I need to find out what I'm supposed to do from, from this passage. In a lot of cases, though, the application is not what I do. It's who is God. In fact, I think the, the big application, the great application, the application that is above all the other applications and behind all the other applications is who is God. And if I know who God is and if I know that God is for me, then I'm ready to do anything. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what is tacked on to the end of that. If I believe that God is God, if I know who God is and I know that he is for me, then I am ready to do whatever he commands. That's what I hope you'll see today. We'll see in the way that God interacts with Moses, we see who God is. Ultimately, we see who God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And we see that God is for his people. We know that God is for his people through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in Exodus 3. And what I want you to see first is God appears. God appears. Exodus chapter 3, God appears. We're continuing our study of Exodus. In chapter 3, God appears. Let's read Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. That's what it says. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We don't know why Moses is... Uh, Shepherding his flock over here is actually kind of far away. Uh, 
whatever the ostensible reason is, I think we're supposed to see in, in these kinds of events the, the hand of God, that God is sort of moving behind the scenes, that God is working providentially to bring Moses to the right place. And then you see in verse 2 that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a unique and mysterious figure. So the word angel could both in the Old Testament and the New Testament be, just simply be translated as messenger. He's a messenger from God, and yet he is, he is one who is distinct from God, and yet in this very passage he is also identified with God. In other places in the Old Testament he is distinct from God, he is also worshipped as God, he is identified as God, he does the deeds of God, he does what God does. He's this mysterious figure that I don't always know how, how can it be in the Old Testament that you can have one who is distinct from God and yet also identified with God. But I think through the lens of the New Testament, we see how there is one who reveals God, who is with God and yet is God himself. He is alongside God and yet identified with God. The angel of the Lord, I think there's good reason to think, is a pre-incarnate coming of the Son of God. He, is, he has always been with his people. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who took on human flesh, has always been with his people. Paul identifies him as the rock who was with Israel in the wilderness. That the Son of God has always been with his people. And here he is right here, revealing God. And you see in the next few verses there that it is God. It is said, God is the one who speaks to Moses. Moses sees this bush that is, is burning. Uh, he sees that it is not consumed. Uh, this is... Uh, this is un unusual, this guy who knows about the wilderness, and uh, he goes to see what it is, and God reveals himself in fire. God often in the Old Testament reveals himself in fire, and it's very important that we even have this connection with the book of Genesis, that when God revealed himself in his covenant-making ceremony with Abraham, God reveals himself as fire. Abraham uh, cuts those animals into pieces. Uh, and God makes this promise to Abraham that I'm going to bless you, that I'm going to bless your offspring, that I'm going to give this land to you. And then God, in, uh, it, it, as a flame of fire and smoke, passes through the midst of the animal saying, I'm taking all the responsibility to keep this covenant. I'm going to do this. God is the flame of fire that leads the people through the wilderness He's the cloud of smoke that is, is uh, leading them during the day and the pillar of fire by night. And he is symbolized with the, the lightning and the fire and the smoke on the top of Mount Sinai. This is the way that God represents himself, indicating his power and his might. Our God is a consuming fire. He is, this is God revealing himself to Moses. Now Moses goes over to see the, the fire, to see this burning bush. And then he hears God speak to him. He says, don't come any closer. Stop right where you're at. This fire that is not consuming the bush, if you come any closer, will consume you. Don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. This will be a, a symbol of respect and reverence and fear and honor for, for a deity or some kind, of, some kind of king. And so that what, is God, what God is revealing about himself is that he is holy. God's holiness is his uniqueness, his separation. He is not in the category of all of us. 
we are all in this category of created beings who came into existence, who are finite and changing and changeable. God's not like that. God is not created. God is not caused. God does not derive his existence from any, anything else. He is, he is uncreated and separate. And he, he demonstrates his separateness or reveals it to us, especially in his moral purity. Anyone who is unclean or impure or unauthorized cannot come into the presence of God. God is holy. God is separate. God is unique. There is only one of him. So don't come into his presence unauthorized or unclean. Ultimately, we see God's holiness in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ whose holiness can come in contact with an unclean leper and instead of consuming the leper, make him clean. It's Jesus Christ who is our high priest and our sacrifice who brings us into the presence of God. He's the one who who makes it so that we can stand, makes it so that we have access, makes it so that the, the veil that separates us from God in the temple was torn in two to symbolize that we can have access to God. Here is the angel of the Lord, the, the one who somehow is able to dwell with God's people without consuming them. He's there, and he's saying, be careful, Moses. I'm holy, and yet I'm going to be with this people and save this people. Well, Moses, you can see there, he hides his face. Uh, and he hears what God says. He says, I am the God of your father. When he says that, I don't think he only means I'm the God of your father Amram. I think he's being something like I am the God of your ancestors. I'm the God of your people. When you look back at Je- uh, Exodus chapter 2. There it was that, that Moses identified with the Israelites over against the Egyptians. Uh, Moses has been adoption into, uh, adopted into Pharaoh's household. Uh, he could have... Uh, with, with great ease, gone on living as an Egyptian. But he says, I'm not, I'm not identifying with the Egyptians. I'm, I'm with the Israelites. I am an Israelite. And now God is saying to Moses, I, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of your people. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's connecting again to the book of Genesis where God had promised Abraham, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will, I will make you into a great nation. I will give this land to you. Walk to the north. Look to the north. The, the south, the east, the west. Everything that you see, I will, I will give it to you. Through your offspring, I will bless all nations. God had made this promise to Abraham. He had, he had continued it. He passed it on from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now to, to Jacob's people, to Jacob's descendants, to, Jacob's, to, the, to the sons of Israel, the, the Israelites. I'm that God. And then he tells him, this is what I'm about to do. I have seen the affliction of your people. I've seen the affliction of the sons of Israel. Chapter 2 ended with this, this note about God, God saw and God knew. We're talking about chapters 1 and 2 cover 300 plus years of Israelite history. The whole time God, God is 
working out his plan. God is not, God is not vacated or abandoned his promises. God knows and he says, now is the time to act. Now is the time for me to fulfill what I had said to Abraham. When I told him that his people would go down to Egypt and be, be enslaved for 400 years and bring the, I would bring them up. Well, here I am to do it. I've heard their cry. And I will bring them out of this land, a land of affliction, a land of oppression, and I'll bring them to the land that I promised to Abraham, a land that I'm going to cause you to overpower these, these nations that are greater and more powerful than you. I'm going I'm to bring you to that land where there is a, a land flowing with milk and honey, everything that you need to sustain life and make life sweet. I'm going to give it to you. What? What's really important for us in the book of Exodus is that it, it acts as what is called a, a type. Uh, that comes from the, the, the word tupas in the New Testament. It simply means something like a pattern or a template. That is, there's, there's correspondence between what God does in the Old Testament and his escalated res, uh, fulfillment of that pattern through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. God is saying to Israel, I'm going to bring you out of oppression. I'm going to bring you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you out of bondage. I'm going to bring you into a place that is broad and free and, and fulfilling. I'm going to bring you there. How much more has Jesus Christ done for us? Jesus Christ is the one who frees us from the guilt of our sin. We were those who who are deserving of judgment and death, and yet Jesus Christ has freed us from the guilt of, of our sin so that we do not, God, does, God forgives our sin. He doesn't judge us. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, cause us to, to enter into eternal death. He doesn't punish us. He doesn't condemn us. He's freed us from that. Those who sin, in whatever way that we sin, we are in bondage to sin. And yet, what does God do, do by His Spirit? He frees us from the bondage of sin. He causes us to be free from sin. What, what God is, is revealing Himself here in the book of Exodus is God is their Savior. He saves them. He delivers them. He frees them from slavery. But how much more does Jesus Christ free us from the guilt of sin and the power of sin and the slavery of sin, and the bondage of sin. We are a free people. We who trust in Jesus Christ, we are free. We are free to obey God. We are free from the condemnation of God. We are free from the power of sin. We are free. God has brought us, is bringing us, and will bring us into eternal life. A place of where life is sustained, where life is sweet, where we know all the goodness of God that God has intended from the beginning, that God intends to lavish on his people who trust in Jesus Christ. So we see that God appears. Next we see God reveals. God reveals himself. He talks about who he is. Pick up in verse 11. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. Which you uh, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve, the God, serve God on this mountain. 
Then, God, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Uh, the, the rest of the passage that we're going to look at today deals with Moses' objections to being God's servant. And so the first one is... Uh, I, I can't do this. I, I, I'm not the one. I, who, who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And, and we're going to see kind of a progression here. You know, this could be just kind of a, a polite way of saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm too modest. I'm too polite. I, I can't really do that. It's kind of like when your grandma says, hey, why don't you have a second piece of this pie that you really want? And you're like, no, no, no. We, that's what we do in the South. No, no, I couldn't. I couldn't. What's the last piece? Okay. All right. That's, I'll do it. That's, that's kind of, they, they have similar kinds of, of polite ways and courteous ways of, of kind of doing things uh, in, in, in the ancient world. So it, it might be something as, something as polite and modest as saying, hey, I just, I really don't know if I'm really cut out for this, God. Look at verse 12. God says, I will be with you. Uh, that, that, what's translated as I will is actually the same word as I am. We'll see the significance of that in a minute. But God is saying, I will be with you. I am with you. God, God gives Moses something to do, but Moses does not give him something to do alone. God certainly intends that we would do what he has commanded us to do. And yet God is with us. I will be with you. The sign is going to be that, that when I'm I am going to be with you in such a way that you are, going to, you are going to bring this people right back to this place. This is one of the things that, that authenticates, a, authenticates a prophet, is that what he says will happen, happen, happens. So when Moses tells the people, I'm going to bring them back to Mount Sinai, I'm going to bring them back to this place, what authenticates him as a prophet is he brings them back to Mount Sinai. Well, God says, I'm, I'm going to authenticate you. I'm going to make it so that the people look at you and they see you as my mouthpiece. They see you as my spokesperson. They see you as, as my prophet. I will be with you. We shouldn't forget the last words of Matthew 28. Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
I am with you always to the end of the age. What God says to Moses, God says to all of his people. What God says here to Moses, Jesus says to all his people, I will be with you even to the end of the age. God, God uh, Jesus Christ gave us the command to go and proclaim the gospel. To proclaim his name, to baptize in his name, to, to teach people to obey everything that he had taught. He's with us. When he says that you know, it's called the Great Commission, it's because he has commissioned us, but not to do it alone, but to go with us wherever we go. Well, Moses comes back with another, uh, another objection. And he says, if I go to the people of Israel, uh, and a lot of this has to do with, remember in chapter 2, uh, Moses went and, and killed the Egyptian. And the next day he goes and tries to break up a fight between two Hebrews. And the Hebrews say, you're not our leader. You're not our judge. You don't judge between us. In the book of Acts, in Acts 7, Stephen says that they did not understand who Moses was or what he was trying to do. It's this pattern of rejection of, of God's leaders throughout the Old Testament leading up and culminating in the rejection of Jesus Christ. And he says, I, I need to tell them, I need some kind of proof, I need, I need to tell them who you are. And God tells Moses, tell them, I am who I am. It's probably... In, in the book of Genesis, the, the name Lord, in your, most of your translations, is going to be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name Yahweh, uh, or older translations might say Jehovah. I am Yahweh. That's used in the book of Genesis, so it's a, it's a name that is in some way used before. But remember, it's been 40 years since Moses was in Egypt. Moses has been gone for 40 years. They've been in slavery for 400 years. Do they even know the name of God? God tells them, I am who I am. What God is asserting about himself is his beingness, his isness. You might think of it as one, one way I think about, about it is that he is the uncaused one who causes all that are, there is. He, is. he is the uncaused being. He is uncaused, uncreated, unlimited, unchangeable, uncompounded. He is not like any of us. He is the uncaused one who causes everything else. And that ties in with all of what we might think of as the attributes of God. So this uncausedness, this isness of God. It's what's sometimes called his aseity. That is, he just simply is. No other being simply is. All other beings derive their existence from God. God is. God is eternal. He is outside of time, unlimited time by time. No beginning, no end. He is, un, he is immutable. That is, he does not change. He is unchanging. He's simple. He's not, he's not like us where we are composed of, of many different things and you can kind of take us apart. God cannot be taken apart. He simply is who he is. You see the connection with God's holiness. It also connects with what we might think of as God's moral attributes. God is good. 
But God does not derive his goodness from somebody else. God does not meet somebody else's standard of goodness. God simply is good. What God does is good. What God calls good is good. And whatever God does is good. God is just. All that God calls just is just. He is not meeting a bar of justice. He is justice. God is love. God is good. God is just. God is patient. When we say that God is these things, we mean it in a fundamentally different way than we say that I could be righteous. God is simply the standard of all that is. He is the cause of all that is. He is the uncaused one from whom everything else comes. So go back and tell them that when I say I'm going to save you, tell them who I am. I am the uncaused one who causes everything. All that you see, I caused it. Everything that has been made, I caused it. I made it. Tell them I am has sent you. He even tells them, he says, tell them that the Lord, the, the name Yahweh, and this I am who I am, or I am, they're all derived from this, uh, th- this Hebrew word for to be. God's very name is wrapped up with I am. I am. I can do anything. You think that, you think that Pharaoh is powerful? You think that you can't win? You think that I can't do this? I am. All that you see, I cause it. Jesus Christ called himself the I am. In the book of John, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the vine. In each of those instances, he says, in the original languages, ego e me. That is, he, he is saying it in a way that is emphatic in the original languages. I am. He says in John 8, unless you believe I am, you are still in your sins. Jesus Christ says, when he says I am the resurrection and the life, he means I can do anything that God can do. I am all that God is. And if you die like all other people die, I can raise you from the dead. As God is the very standard of truth, I am the light of the world. As God is the one who sustains you and gives life, I have life in me. The Father has given that the Son would have life in himself. That you should honor the Son as you honor the Father. If you honor the Father as I am, you must honor the Son as I am. Jesus Christ is I am. When he says that I am the door or I am the way, he means that when there is no other way, when there is no other opening to go into the presence of God, I am. He says I am the vine. When you wonder how will you have the strength to do all that God commands, how will you, how will you be able to be fruitful? Jesus says, I am. The saving God who is there to do all that he says he will do to save Israel is the saving God who saves us by his death on the cross. The Old Testament calls 
calls God by a very, a name that is often unique to him, Savior. The I am is Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior. So he says, I am who I am. I am the God of your fathers. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is my name forever. Remember who I am. Whenever we don't do what we're supposed to do, whenever we don't apply the Bible, do you know often why we do that? In fact, you could say every time we do not apply the Bible the way that we're supposed to apply it, do you know why that is? Why we forget or why we fear to do what we ought to do because we are unmotivated to do what we ought to do? I think in some way, at a fundamental level, it's because we don't remember who God is. If we remember who God is, we will not fail. We will not fail to do what God tells us to do. Every time we sin is a form of, hopefully, temporary amnesia. We have feared other people or we have desired something else. When God is, He is the blessed God, the life-giving God, the uncreated God, the just God, the good God, the unchanging God, the eternal God, the immortal God, the all-wise God, the all-knowing God. He is. So let us do what He commands. The rest of the, a lot of the rest of the passage or that middle section there, I think verses 17 uh, up to uh, about chapter, about verse 19, is God telling Moses to tell the people of Israel what he said. Now then, there are no quotation marks in the original languages, but the quotation mark to be really helpful right here for us to know who's saying what. And uh, you can maybe go back and look at this. I, I'd encourage you to look at this this afternoon. This is the pattern of what it looks like to be a prophet. Moses is kind of like the prototypical prophet. Abraham was called a prophet. Uh, but Moses, the pattern of Moses being a prophet is, is when he says later on in Deuteronomy, when he says, there will come a prophet like me, he means this is what I do. This is what God called me to do. Later on, there are going to be other prophets. And ultimately, there, there will be one prophet who will be the culmination of all prophets. Well, prophets work like this. God tells them to say something to the people, and then they say it to the people. If they say it unfaithfully or untruthfully or erroneously, they're not prophets. So that, that's how quotation, so the reason why I noticed this is because I write out these passages just by hand as a way of studying it, uh, and I'm writing out all these quotation marks. And I'm like trying to figure out, okay, you have double quotation marks, and you have single quotation marks, and you have double quotation marks again. And I'm trying to figure it out. The point, though, is God said to Moses, say this to the people, and then Moses goes and says this to the people. That's what prophets do. Moses is setting up this pattern for what all prophets do. They speak God's word to God's people. They, they say the very revelation of God. Not like I'm doing now. I'm explaining what the prophets have said. I'm a teacher. The prophets spoke from God as they were carried along, along and authenticated 
by God as prophets. The last thing that God says in, the, in this chapter, he says, I know that Pharaoh is not just going to let you go. He will have to be compelled by a strong hand. God says, I will work wonders. Here I am, the uncreated one, the one who creates, the one who makes all. But I am going to bring all of creation to humble and compel Pharaoh to let you go. And then when I let you go, I want, you, I want your women to go to all the other women in, in their household, like all the Egyptians that they live with. I want you to go and just, just all they're going to have to do is ask. And they're going to plunder the Egyptians. You know, God, God both commanded the conquest of Canaan and the Exodus. And the conquest in Canaan, he uses Joshua to lead the people, and they go into battles, and they win battles. Does the same thing through the judges and through David, and, and God is working through them. One of the distinctive things about what God does here is Israel doesn't do anything. No warrior from the nation of Israel is going to lift a sword. Instead, God is going to shame the Egyptians by having them plundered by Israel's women. You're going to plunder them. You're never going to fight a battle. You're never going to lift a weapon. You're just going to have your wives and your daughters go ask for stuff, and they're going to give it to you. Because I will give them, give you favor in their sight, which I think, I don't know, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I, I know it means they're going to give you whatever you ask for. God's going to deliver them. You know, we ought to recognize that whenever we are enabled to do anything, that is God at work in us, and yet God has done so much apart from us to make it clear that it's not about us. When we think about the, the great doctrines of things that sort of really exclude our, our participation, like election is not about us, why is that important? It's to, it's to make it clear that we do not save ourselves. Justification, that we are, we are not saved by our works, but saved by grace through faith. Why is that important? Because it, it declares that God is the saving one. God does other saving actions that whereby we in some way cooperate with him, where we're changed. But fundamental to our salvation is that, that God is the one who causes it. He is the uncaused one who causes us to be saved. He is the one who acts apart from our works. It's not because we went out and grabbed it, because we, were, because we were so much stronger than all the other people or wiser than others. It's because of God's grace. Last thing that we'll look at is God aids. That is, God aids Moses by giving him signs and giving him help. God appears, God reveals, and God aids. So pick up in chapter 4, read through verses, verse 17, it says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe... That the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. 
Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, that they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs, these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out, pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he didn't speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I'll teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses again objects. He says, they're not going to believe me. God says, I'm going to give you a sign. The first one is, throw your staff down, it becomes a snake. You pick it back up, it becomes a staff. This could maybe symbolize some power that, that, that Moses is going to have over Pharaoh. But whatever it is, it is, a, it is a sign to convince the people that he's been sent by God. And he also puts his hand inside his cloak. He pulls it out. It's leprous, so that, that's the, the traditional translation. It's probably not what we think of as like leprosy, like you see in Ben-Hur or, or, uh, or what is now called Hansen's disease. It's probably something like like a very severe form of, of psoriasis, makes your skin white, makes it where it would flake off and, and fall off. And so he puts it in. It's a, a, a dreaded skin disease in the ancient world, uh, something that is not dealt with. In fact, there are, it is cured in the Old Testament very, very rarely. But here is God saying, I have the power to take away life or to make things clean. God has the power to heal. Then God says to Moses, he says, if they don't believe those, then take some water from the Nile, throw it on the ground, it'll become blood. The Nile was the source of Egypt's life. It was the source of its whole economy. Of, of, it was thought of as a god. And so when they turn the Nile into blood, they are striking right at the heart of, of Egypt's life. God is giving these signs to authenticate and to say, Moses has been sent by me. This will make them believe you. It's again another important sort of pattern about what a prophet looks like. One of the reasons, one of the important reasons why Jesus did miracles is because his signs and his wonders, his miracles authenticated what he was saying. Think about when he is healing the man who's brought in on the bed. He says, your sins are forgiven. Well, how do, how do we know that this man's sins are forgiven? How do we know that Jesus has the power to forgive sins? He says, so that you know that I have the power both to make him get up and the power to forgive sins. He says, get up. Take your mat and go home. God's, uh, Jesus' signs authenticate his words. His ultimate sign is that he rose from the dead. The reason why we can believe everything that Jesus said is because no other, no other one rises from the dead, resurrected to live forever. Jesus does that. We believe Jesus because of the signs. The same kinds of signs and wonders 
authenticated the, the speaking of the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament? How do we know that what they were saying and what they were saying about what Jesus Christ did, how do we know that, that it's true? It's because of their, their signs. These are the things that verify and authenticate a genuine prophet. Now we ought to, we ought to look and, and look for, hey, does this person speak truthfully and faithfully and without error according to God's word? Does uh, everything that they say is going to happen, does it happen? Uh, are they able to authenticate what they say with signs and wonders? Now, sometimes people might be able to do one or two or three of those things, one or two of those things, but only a prophet is able to do all three. Only a prophet always speaks in accordance with what has already been written and faithfulness to God. Only a prophet is able to, to, uh, to uh, say what will happen and have it happen. And only a, uh, all, all, uh, from the very beginning, these signs and wonders are intended to authenticate genuine prophecy. Well, I think when we look around and look for all of these verifications of what is a prophet and what is prophecy, it keeps bringing us back to the scriptures. I think if we look around and see if there are any other prophets out there, if they're fitting the definition of what a prophet is, we, we're not finding any. We're coming right back to the scriptures, to what Moses has written, and what to the prophets who came after Moses have written, and to what the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament have written. What has been, what has been brought together and what is here in God's word, it's enough to take us all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ. God authenticated who Moses is and that God, was, God sent Moses by these signs. So God has authenticated Jesus Christ ultimately by raising him from the dead. Eyewitness accounts of men who did signs and wonders themselves, who, who said, we've seen Jesus risen from the dead. Believe. Jesus at one point says, if you don't believe because of, of my words, if you don't believe my words, at least believe because of the works. Look at the signs. John has a whole half of his gospel devoted to signs. Believe the signs. Believe because of what Jesus did. He was raised from the dead. Well, Moses is still uh, coming up with objections. He says, but I'm not eloquent. I'm not, I'm not a, a good speaker. It probably doesn't mean, maybe there's some way that some people have thought that he has like a speech impediment. It probably just means he, like, if I'm going to go before Pharaoh, that's got to be like a really persuasive, eloquent person. Like, like, I'm a shepherd. Like, I've been a shepherd for 40 years. You think I'm gonna? You think I'm gonna learn something new? All of a sudden, I'm gonna learn how to how to step up to Pharaoh and tell him, convince him to let the people go. I'm not like that. And then, what does God do? He reminds Moses, "I am like I make people mute or speaking or deaf or hearing. I make people seeing or blind. I made your mouth." I caused your mouth, and I will cause words to come out of your mouth. I am. Like I just talked about a few minutes ago. Remember. Still, Moses says, can't you find somebody else? Moses was Jonah before Jonah. Like Moses was a prophet who did not want to go. Can't you send somebody else? And this Moses is not being modest anymore. Moses is not being humble anymore. Moses is being obstinate and stubborn and resistant 
sinfully so. It says that God's anger is kindled against him. But look how patient God is. If God struck us down every time, particularly the first time we were obstinate or stubborn, where would we be? Praise God for his patience, for his, his long-suffering, for his mercy toward us. He says, okay, I've already sent Aaron to you. Aaron is already on his way to you. Remember, this is I am. That means he has all knowledge from beginning to end. Aaron is always on his way, already on his way. Uh, Aaron can speak well. You're like God to Aaron. Again, we kind of see what prophecy is like. Moses will tell Aaron what to say, and Aaron will tell the people what, what God says or what Moses said. That's what a prophet does. And then the last thing, last thing that God says to Moses, uh, pick up your staff. Like, you've been a shepherd. All right, Moses is 80 years old. 80 years old. He's been a shepherd for 40 years. He's carried around this staff all over the wilderness. It has not done anything particularly great. Except help him walk around or lead some sheep around. It's a stick. Pick up your stick to go do the signs. I'm going to use you and your shepherd stick to carry my people and free them from the most powerful man on the face of the planet, from the most advanced civilization of the time. take your stick with you because I am I, I, don't, I don't need your eloquence I don't even really need your stick I, I am I have determined in my mind that I will deliver this people I will now go. We have one who set his love and affection on us. Who said, I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And he said, I will be gracious. And he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. So that all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who put our trust in Jesus Christ, would be saved. Saved from judgment. Saved from the power of sin. Saved from our former slavery. Saved to the uttermost, to the pinnacle, to the, to the to eternal life. Our God causes. He's caused us to be saved through Jesus Christ. Let us trust in Him. Father, uh, we praise You as our creator and our redeemer you are you are immutable and immortal and eternal and unlimited infinite holy wise good just patient merciful we praise you as the one who is the source of all life and joy and happiness and and goodness
grant that we would have the, the, the consciousness of your, your beingness and your holiness always in our mind, that it would never be apart from our, our, our we would be constantly conscious in, in our every decision, in our every thought, that we would be conscious of living every moment before your face, that you are the God who is everywhere, who can be shut out of nowhere. Grant that we would know these things and that in all these things you are for us through Jesus Christ. That you are the God who saves. Whatever enemy we have, uh, Pharaoh or other men or powers of various kinds, angels or demons or Satan or death, Whatever stands or pretends to stand between us and you and eternal life. That we would know that you are our savior. That you are I am. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Say amen.